Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. Our guest today is someone who will be familiar to many listeners, especially those from Burlington. Eleanor McMahon has over 30 years of experience within the private, public and non-profit sectors, from working as the press secretary for Jean Chrétien to director of public affairs at the Canadian Advisory Council on the Status of Women, to periods as Vice President of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and the United Way Ottawa. From 2008, Eleanor worked to bring tougher laws to protect cyclists following the tragic death of her husband, OPP Sergeant Greg Stobart, due to the actions of a suspended driver. As founder of the Share the Road Cycling Coalition, she not only saw those tougher laws enacted, but her work helped bring about Ontario's first bicycle policy update in 20 years. Then, from 2014 to 18, Eleanor was MPP for Burlington, serving as Minister of Tourism, Culture and Sport, and then President of the Treasury Board. It was in this period of political involvement that, that Joel and I first knew Eleanor, and I certainly subsequently came to know Eleanor extremely well, as I was fortunate enough to be the Burlington Provincial Liberal Association President when Eleanor decided to run in 2013. But the reason we're speaking to Eleanor McMahon today is not connected to any of those achievements, but in connection with her current role as president and CEO of the Trans-Canada Trail. As we're all here today, the uh, Trans-Canada Trail is much more than a pathway across Canada, much more than just the largest trail in the world. It's something that links Canadians together by trails through our shared but complex history, our present and our future. It's something that can perhaps help be part of the efforts to pursue genuine reconciliation with the First Nations. And it's something that can help perhaps break down the barriers that have developed between rural and urban Canada. And above all, it's something that for millions of people in the 905 region is almost literally on our doorstep and available free of charge. This fact came into sharp focus during the COVID-19 pandemic as millions of us rediscovered the attractions of Canada's outdoors at a time when so many other forms of recreation had been taken away. I will just add that uh, there are a few sound fluctuations on the recording today, which we apologize for uh, because of the the vagaries of the internet, Uh, but we hope it doesn't uh, take away from your enjoyment of this interview too much. Welcome, Eleanor McMahon, to the uh, 905 podcast, uh, CEO of the Trans-Canada Trail. Um, as some of our listeners will certainly know, uh, Eleanor and I, and, and indeed Joel as well, go back quite a long way. We've known each other from, from your time in Burlington and your time in uh, politics. But uh, but today we're, we're talking about what you've been doing the last uh, four years or so with the uh, uh, CEO of the Trans-Canada Trail. And uh, I thought we'd just sort of kick off for anybody who, who isn't you know particularly familiar with what the Trans-Canada Trail is. Perhaps you could just give us a little bit of the kind of history and how it came to be and 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 certainly the kind of sheer extent of, of, of what it is. Well, thank you. Thanks, Roland. Thanks, Joel. Really uh, great to be here with all of you. I love the podcast, so I was excited when you asked me to join you today. Um, the Trans-Canada Trail is the uh, longest trail network in the world. Uh, it is a multi-use trail. And the best way to think about that is to think about The Appalachian Trail, which many of your listeners will be familiar with, you are likely familiar with in the uh, eastern United States, or the Pacific Crest Trail, which runs 700 miles along the west coast of the U.S. And those are not multi-use trails, they're hiking trails. You may get horse in places and things like that, but the trail, the Trans-Canada Trail, 
is actually part of the uh, transportation network and active transport network in the largest cities in the country, and it is in every large city in Canada. Uh, at 28,000 kilometers, it is vast. And if I think about a local and regional example that your listeners um, in the 905 would appreciate, um, the Waterfront Trail is part of the Trans-Canada Trail. So if you're in the Toronto area, um, the Martin Goodman Trail, and you might be on that every day on your bicycle commuting or walking the dog, that is part of the Trans-Canada Trail. So if you're standing on the Martin Goodman Trail or the Waterfront Trail in Toronto, you're standing at the same time and in the same place as thousands of other Canadians who may be in Winnipeg or in Stanley Park in Vancouver or in Montreal in the Port area, for example, or in areas of New Brunswick along the Fundy Coast. So as, as I've discovered, having now been at the trail two years, just celebrating my second anniversary, just I took over the trail just in, in uh, shy of the pandemic. Um, it, it is uh, really unique in so many aspects because while there may be a few countries in the world that have national trails, and Canada is one of them, uh, the vastness of our trail is, is, is really what sets us apart. So and we, as we often say, the trail is national in scope and local in execution. And if you think of a place like Israel, which also has a national trail, just the scope of our geography makes our trail so incredibly compelling and fast. And uh, very few people have actually done the entire thing, by the way. We had one that finished last year, Dion Wayland. So it is an incredible asset. And uh, I've, I've, been, I've spent the past couple of years really exploring how we can bring more Canadians to it. So this broadcast is very timely. And, and just, I mean, I'm looking at, and I've mentioned this to you before, you have an excellent website, and I'm, I, I always like anything with a map on it anyway. <laughs> and the map gives every kind of yard of the trail, which is, uh, I mean, it's really kind of a network, isn't it? I mean, it's, I, I have it, it um, I live about 250 meters from the trail uh, in Hamilton, and you know, there's kind of a network across Ontario and then obviously across the uh, the entire province. Now, I mean, you said, so So one person's actually done the whole thing. Did he do like every every branch and avenue of it or, or, or sort of start one side and just go to the other? Well, theoretically, and several people have asked me this, you know, um, could you do the, the entire Trans-Canada Trail? And you, and you could. It is, as I said earlier, it's a multi-use trail, so it's unique in the respect that uh, some of the trail is across water. So when you get to Northwestern Ontario, for example, the trail goes across Lake Superior and it is a water route. We're currently working, by the way, with the Waterfront Regeneration Trust um, who runs the Waterfront Trail in the Burlington, Hamilton and Toronto area um, to create a, a new trail, a land-based trail on the North Shore of Lake Superior, which will be absolutely stunning. But right now, if you're doing a cross-country trip on the Trans-Canada Trail, and the woman, Dion Wayland, who finished it last year, took six years to do it. So wow. <laughs> I suppose you could do the trail end-to-end-to-end to end to end, uh, in one shot, but it would be a major undertaking. And it, it, the vastness of it obviously makes it a, a journey not for the faint-hearted. But, um, yeah. No, obviously, it's with, an incredible with, asset um, for sure. And it's really, 
you know, with I mean, you 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 went to the Trans Canada Trail right right like you, as you said just right before COVID, and then COVID has, as I understand it, has really transformed uh, or transformed the, the number of people who are seeking outdoor uh, outdoor uh, exercise and walking because for so long it was one of the only things we actually could do. So, so tell us a little bit about, about that and how COVID has affected uh, the uh, the trail. We work um, with 500 local trail groups across the country. So an interesting way to think about the Trans-Canada Trail is a trail of trails. Um, and those 500 local trail groups and those individuals, they're, the heart and hands of those people manages the local sections of trail in each community. And without them, we, we wouldn't exist. So we are funded by Parks Canada, and that annual funding allows us to be the largest investor in trails infrastructure in the country, over 16.5 million in 400 projects in the last four years. But part of those funds goes towards supporting those local trail groups as well through activities and through funding their cleanup and the maintenance of the trail and the signage on the trail, including Indigenous signage. Uh, all of our signage is in both official languages as well. So um, looking at the trail and talking to local trail groups, it was clear to us from the onset of the pandemic that people were uh, looking to access nature, that wanting to be outside, as you point out. Um, you know, there were points in the pandemic, as you know, when we were highly isolated. There were lockdowns in many places in the country. Some jurisdictions actually shut down parks at the beginning when it, they were unclear about the spread of COVID. And once it became clear um, that being outside was clinically safer in many aspects than being outside, people started to flock to the outdoors and our trail use went up across the network uh, 50%. We knew it had increased, but we got the really smart people at Leger Marketing, which is a national polling firm, to do some polling for us to ask Canadians, okay, are you using trails more often? And, and they said, yes, by 50% more. Okay, so why are you using trails? Well, not surprisingly, 95% of people said enhancing my mental health is the number one reason why I'm using trails more often. And then in a really compelling statistic, 100%, so a unanimous number of young people between the ages of 18 and 24 said categorically that mental health was driving their increased use of trail. And this and, and the other data that we gleaned from our national surveys really got us thinking about how we could organize and really appeal to Canadians to get outdoors even more often and to get out on the trail uh, because it is a safe place. It remains safe today. But even in the early pandemic times especially, you could easily be socially together while being physically distant. And that was a message that we uh, that we started getting out there and we issued national trail use guidelines, which for the sector leader, which we are in Canada, we're very useful in telling our trail operators and Canadians, absolutely get out on the trail. These are the ways in which you can keep safe. These are the things that you should keep in mind. And, and Parks Canada, our lead agency in government, found them extremely useful as well because our national parks and our provincial parks are highly populated, even more so during COVID. So for sure, Canadians have flocked to trails and they are a mechanism to connect them one to the other and to connect them to them to the world around them too. So we've seen some really phenomenal stories come out of uh, Canadians have shared with us in our campaigns um, that getting outdoors has really helped them to cope with the pandemic. 
Um, I, you mentioned uh, the the connection aspect. I thought I would, this tra- uh, something about the the trailer I wanted to touch on is that how it connects the urban with the the rural uh, aspect, which is something I, I, I mean people are thinking. I think when people are going to think of the trail, they're going to think of the Bruce Trail here in Ontario, and they're, they're thinking of you know going up to the Bruce Peninsula and and going kind of through the backwoods of of Ontario. Beautiful. Lovely, lovely uh, uh, activity. By all means, do it. But what's interesting about this is that it, this ties into uh, that ur- that urban setting. Like you can walk it in your downtown, down by your waterfront. But if you, I mean, I'm just, I was just kind of following along the trail as we were talking, and you get into the rural parts. You get, you get into the, the you got into, you know, you, you get into the greenbelt, the the farms, the farmland of, of Ontario. It, I, I don't really have a, a question to it, but I just, you know, maybe can you comment on just that kind of that connection between the developed part of, of the province and the, you know, the, the part that has not, not been touched by man, so to speak. You know, that's a really interesting observation, Joel, because um, the TransCanada Trail is part of a global group of colleagues that manage trail networks. Um, and in particular, long distance trails, of which, of course, the Trans-Canada Trail is one. And the World Trails Network, again, gives us this global viewpoint. We, a colleague of mine sits on the board of directors, uh, effectively representing Canada. And on the global basis, to your point, there's an organization that, that, that is a global in scope body uh, based in Switzerland, and it's called the International Union for the Conservation of Nature or the IUCN. And the IUCN has a body, believe it or not, an advisor group on long distance trails. So to your point, in that context, long distance trails are seen, and we are seen this way, by the way, in the federal government context, because we are funded, they are our biggest funder. Um, Parks Canada provides us $7.5 million a year. That funding is sunsetting. I'll get to that later on, perhaps. And we're working on getting it renewed. But the IUCN sees, sees long distance trails as an opportunity to conserve and as a conservation tool, but also to connect the urban and the rural. So, uh, and they say on their website, I'm quoting them now, well-marked and well-publicized trails connecting urban to natural areas and between natural areas in and around cities can be strong psychological connectors to the natural environment. And you know, the best urban paths give those walking on them a sense of progression towards a destination. However, even if people never walk on them, just knowing they are there has value. And I've always been struck by that definition because it it speaks to how um, you know entities like ours, which in the Transcanada Trail is a global jewel. It's a tourism asset that is poised to bring. Um, economic development and the regeneration of the economy post-COVID through the first um, National Trails Tourism Strategy, which we have created in the past couple of years in the context of the pandemic. So you are 100% correct. Um, And if I may touch on a local, perhaps relevant example, Coots to Escarpment is a perfect example in, in the trails that you have in the Halton region that are run by conservation authorities. The Halton Regional Conservation Authority does a phenomenal job. I know you've had Hassan on the show. Uh, he does a phenomenal job in 
attracting people to their assets, a great number of which are beautiful trails that are accessible to the public. And in the context of the Kutsu Escarpment, which has one of the most important areas which the federal government is looking to protect and give special protection, just because it has the highest, uh, and this is extraordinary, one of the highest, if not the highest degree of biodiversity in the country. There are more species and a greater degree of biodiversity within the Kutztu Escarpment that are important to protect, that are worth protecting. And if I may, there's really interesting evolving science that looks at the fact that conservation and preservation of these spaces are so important, not just for the current mental health and well-being of cities and, and the people who live within them and access nature, but also in the context of pandemic prevention. We get more pandemics when we our biodiversity is harmed. And when our biodiversity is harmed, as we get closer to the animal species and the animal kingdom in ways that maybe aren't necessarily helpful, that can lead to uh, unhelpful and negative connections that result in, in uh, pandemics. And so there's evolving science on that, but when you look at the antecedents of the COVID-19 virus and the transmission routes that it took, um, nature and biologists are saying that uh, when, we, when we harm biodiversity, we harm ourselves. And this is why the trail uh, is part of an effort to conserve 25 by 25 in the Canadian context in our, by our federal government. 25% of Canadians of Canada by 25 preserved and conserved 30% by 2030. And places like and the efforts at conservation there in that context are related to that overarching commitment and the trail is part of that. Because we are in those places, we are wildlife corridors, we enhance biodiversity, we're on bird flight paths. So the, this, is, this is evolving to be, and the organization is evolving to be building on the connection that we achieved in 2017, a much broader conversation about how we act as a conservation and preservation opportunity. So it's, it's, it's work that I find incredibly exciting and energizing and um, worthwhile, frankly. Well, I'm looking at the the map uh, just like as it relates to the 905 uh, at the moment. And, you know, we're, we're, I guess you could say if you if you want to maybe start at one end, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just drive down to uh, Niagara on the Lake, uh, and yeah, I mean you're, the trail, I don't know, starts there uh, if you will, uh, but you know it goes down Niagara on the Lake, down the uh, the Niagara River, uh, down along uh, uh, Lake Erie, uh, and loops up and comes back into uh, Hamilton, comes up through uh, Caledonia and through Hamilton. Uh, and then along the 905 and, and whatnot, I, it's, I mean, it, it is a great way just to see, uh, see, see the country, it, you know, for no, no better reason. Um, but I, I would be remiss if I wasn't to talk about, about the risk of development, um, because I mean, that's something that we've talked about many times on this podcast and, and it's, you know, are, are, do you, are you worried about potential development growth? There, there seems to be a bit of a push to get into the green belt, uh, into these areas and to expand in. Are, are you at all worried about development, you know, just the, the political will pressuring to develop these areas and that we risk losing 
bit of that biodiversity and bit, a bit of the what the trail is trying to shine a light on? question i i think for us at the trans canada trail so we don't own the land that we are on so a great deal of it is is um, there's some private land ownership in there but a lot of it is crown land municipally owned some of federal especially in our national parks and so on so we don't necessarily play that role of uh, providing feedback to governments about development and so on, either pro or con or on both sides of the equation. I think if we were asked, we'd have to think about it carefully. But what we might be able to do, and it's a it's a big might and a decision by our board of directors, would be to assert, as, as I have to a moment ago, that trails are very valuable as, as vehicles for conservation and preservation of green space. And providing that vital access to nature that Canadians are craving now, they are an instrument for economic development through local tourism, especially in places in the country where uh, heavy industry has vacated. There's tons of examples of this in the United States, and they were touched on in our Conference Board of Canada report in 2020. We can do better as a country to put trails in the window as a tourism asset, and that is what, what's caused us to in a carpe diem way, seize the day in creating Canada's first national strategy. It's in the mandate letter of the Federal Minister of Tourism. And uh, in the, and our, the renewal of our federal funding is, is the mandate letter of the Minister of Environment, Climate Change Canada. So it is their role as regulatory agencies to discern, uh, and I think there's a, a, an environmental assessment underway by the federal minister on Highway 413. And so that result is pending but the Trans-Canada role is tangential to those conversations rather than central to them, if that helps. Coming back to just, just the sort of history of, of the trail. Now, I mean, as I, uh, if I'm remembering right, the trail is, is a fairly new, uh, um, it's fairly new in, in, in existing as, a, as an entity that has its own name. And the, you know, many of the trails have existed for a long time, but the actual as a concept, the Trans-Canada Trail is relatively new. When was uh, when was it created? And um, uh, uh, I, I, this came originally from the federal government uh, as, as a, is that right? Just correct me there if, I, if I'm way off base. Well, you're not way off base, but, but the, <laughs> the dream for a trans, <laughs> the dream for a Trans-Canada Trail really began with uh, two gentlemen, uh, Mr. Pratt from Calgary and Pierre Camus in Ottawa. And in 1992, uh, the two of them, you know, it was, it was the 125th anniversary of Canada. They began having conversations one to the other and, and in the context of work at the federal level to celebrate the 125th anniversary of our country they started talking about this idea of a Trans-Canada Trail. And you're quite right also in saying, and, and this is really important to our ongoing work, that the trail is a sum of its parts. And many of those parts have been trading routes and Indigenous routes for, for centuries now. And so the, the ground that we walk on and the Indigenous partnerships that we have, for example, locally, you can find the Trans-Canada Trail in and around the Six Nations, as an example, of the Grand River and, and in Brantford. 
And those territories on which we operate and stand really form, form the backbone of the history of our country. And if I may, Roland, it leads me to a perhaps tangential point, which is we certainly uh, we have a truth and reconciliation framework at the Trans-Canada Trail that we published uh, willingly and with enthusiasm in order to express our commitment to being an ally and to amplify the voices of our First Nations partners. We operate in very close contact and collaboration with the Indigenous leaderships in the communities where we find ourselves. We're in over 15,000 communities across the country. So it will make sense to you that our work with our Indigenous partners is, is, a, a, is a relationship of privilege for us. Um, and uh, we have an Indigenous Advisory Committee of our board. We have Indigenous leaders on our board, and we are informed by their advice. And, and that the work that we do in that context is really, really important to us. And so one thing that we are considering, and I won't go too far out on a limb because we're, we're, we're at early days here, but we are looking to see if there is a way properly done and with great sensitivity to allow the trail to help tell the story and to amplify the voices and the stories of Aboriginal First Nations leaders and Indigenous peoples around our residential schools. It is a part of our history that recently has come to the forefront as the very sad recovery and, and discovery of grave sites around residential schools has come to light. And I think all Canadians um, stand side by side our Indigenous peoples as this sad and horrible chapter in our history is uncovered. And is there an opportunity to tell that story differently vis-a-vis -vis the Trans-Canada Trail and where these, where these schools are located? We think so. And it could be in the context of some powerful work that we're doing to create a digital trail. So while the physical trail that we talked about a lot today and the map that you see, how lucky are we, by the way, as we Canada is our map partner and they're a phenomenal Canadian company and they're generously giving to us of their time and talents and their software, which we're grateful for. So the nice comment about our website, Roland, I will share with them because it's a, we're very proud of that relationship. But as we embrace the digital trail and the next stage of using technology to also enhance the end user experience, but embrace opportunities to channel content, bring the trail to people around the world, because if COVID has taught us anything, it's that people are in front of their computers a lot more now and consuming content. And we have an opportunity to tell stories and leverage the trails. So the Indigenous relationships are very precious to us. Um, and the work that we think we can do in the world we can play around uh, storytelling, especially when it comes to the residential schools, is something we're thinking about very seriously. Sorry, we both breathed in. We both breathed in there. I, I, <laughs> Joel, I, 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 sorry, I, I, sorry if I took you down another path there, but no, 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 not at all. No, uh, I think we both had a, a point, but I'm sure we'll both get them in before we're done. Uh, it struck me that you know, at this point in history. Um, the, with everything that's happened the last couple of years, uh, you know, not just with COVID, but with the, you know, what's been happening in Ottawa lately, uh, uh, it's like we really need something with, with the with the with the um, you know the the the, the discoveries at, at the uh, at at the schools. It's really a moment where we need something that kind of brings 
everybody together a, a thing that we can kind of all share in a, and the trans canada trail really seems like one of those things you know it, it's because a trail is like it's, it's not just a physical thing but a kind of idea isn't it it's like you know if you think of the appalachian trail it's like that or in britain it was the pennine way which had huge amounts of kind of history attached to it because it was a roman road and it was you know and it seems it does seem a real opportunity here you know this is maybe somewhere where the first nations and canadians can work together in in a really kind of creative way that is you know that, that makes that means we're pulling in the same direction rather than against each other you know um and it kind of goes because it's such a, a pan-national thing it, it you know it's it, it's you know, it's a difficult thing to kind of put your finger on physically, but it kind of has that that intellectual kind of aspect to it of um, of tying the nation together, quite 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 literally. So it it's kind of exciting from that point of view, and and I guess that leads to my my next question in a way, which is which is you know wh- where is the future of the trail? Uh, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, the funding situation uh, a while ago. Um, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming and hoping that you know this isn't going to come to a grinding halt because your money disappears. And but uh, but, but what what's next for the for the Trans Canada Trail? Well, thank you. And we would certainly we certainly feel that it would be a a shame for for the trail to close its uh, this chapter in its 30th year. Um, I mentioned Pierre Camus and Mr. Pratt earlier, and they thought of this dream in 1992. We're now in. 2022 and so 30 years later was so much achieved and such Canadian ingenuity and effort and enthusiasm to create this amazing Trans-Canada Trail. I mean, really, to your point, Roland, there aren't many countries in the world, first of all, that have a trail of this vast size, but also could come together where there would be this coming together. And I think that's reflected in our relationships uh, at the political level, federally, which I'll just touch on now. we're in a minority parliament, as you know now, and uh, sometimes in those minority situations, it's hard to get politicians to agree on a commonly held set of objectives. And the trail is a place where there is there is warm and enthusiastic agreement. Uh, I've met with a number of politicians since I've been at the trail, most of it in the context of the renewal of our funding that you mentioned a moment ago, our funding agreement with Parks Canada, um, it ended actually in January, uh, but it officially ends March 2022. So we're really hoping that in this federal budget, budget, we'll get a recommitment for at least five years from the federal government to allow us to continue to enhance and grow the Trans-Canada Trail and to broaden our lens to embrace the activities that we're, we're undertaking now. And we are doing so um, because uh, when the trail was celebrated that end-to-end-to-end connection in 2017, as aligned with the sesquicentennial, the task then became, okay, we've done this amazing thing, now what? And so the now what really the, has been a product of an extensive global environmental scan, yes, of the British trail networks, which are famous, internationally famous, and and they've been there so long, we have much to learn. And because our trail is only 30 years old. So what can we do? What can we learn from the, the Camino del Santiago in Spain and the way in which it is wired into the DNA and the physical and natural history of Spain? 
the transient trail is indeed the very same thing. So when we did this environmental scan and we talked to our funders and partners and and uh, the people that we serve across the country, they enthusiastically opined. I mean, I think it's human nature that when you ask someone their opinion, they're probably going to give it that you guys are in the business of of doing just that and on this podcast. I mean, it's so evident. But in that context, we had enthusiastic responses and 600 data points were collected from these conversations in this immense consultation. And then we whittled it down to our six strategies for success, which fall nicely into the T-R-A-I-L-S uh, that speak to you know creating a trail system for all and um, building capacity in the in the trails sector, amazing events, uh, and you know things like our Great Canadian Hike, which we held in the first year of the pandemic. Again, in the spirit of togetherness in a socially together, physically distant way, that has attracted over 400,000 collective kilometers of Canadians getting out on the trail and sharing their visuals and social media, and the increased uh, tourism work that we're doing uh, to increase the visitor economy and uh, leading the development of a digital trail. And then finally, the yes is really all about uh, our success is wired into that broad coalition of partners that we, that we have. And so whether it's the accessibility work that we're doing with Access Now and the Canadian Paralympic Committee to use Access Now's digital platform to open source sections of the trail across the country and get lived experience feedback to make a more accessible trail, that work, which is so foundational and so phenomenal and so groundbreaking, is allowing us to work with our municipalities and, and give them instant feedback on where the trail needs enhancements and improvements through the lives of, again, people who use the trail and, and maybe find challenges. And so that's allowing us to be an organization that's evidence-based and in the spirit of constant improvement. And I mentioned to you the Indigenous work um, and the resource and capacity work that we're doing. We've got a national um, Indigenous youth employment program that we have well underway that's providing opportunities and job, summer job opportunities in trail building and trail enhancement conservation in partnership with Outland Xterra, which is based in Thunder Bay, that's had this Indigenous youth program for 20 plus years. They graciously allowed us to join in and add trail building to the suite of activities that these young people are doing. And it's been an enriching opportunity for us to learn from these young people, Indigenous-led guardianship principle work, land-based training, and then in the future, a relationship with Mohawk College to create a certificate program for them to learn and potentially work in trail, trail, um, trail you know, occupations across Canada. So we have a lot of work that we've got underway, and it would be a shame to, to call it to a halt now when we've got so much momentum, so much enthusiasm and trail use is escalating across the country. So we're hoping that the federal government says yes, and we're working very hard. We were in the platform of the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party in the last election, and we are in those ministerial mandate letters. So we are working very hard. We've mobilized our network from across the country. We've had 700 letters go into MPs and ministers. So hopefully we're on the radar screen and we're keeping our fingers crossed for sure. Well, that's probably a, a, a good note to end it on, and we certainly wish you all the best with that. It seems uh, uh, it's uh, one of those projects that really catches my imagination. Uh, I, I love the idea of, of 
of trails and footpaths as something that kind of link us together and you know tie history with the present day with the future i mean that can sound very airy fairy when i'm saying it like that but it but it's it's a physical thing that really does that you know uh physically links us you know and and i think that's really important so uh all the very best with that and uh we'll we'll speak to you again in the future hopefully with with uh uh some more uh, uh good news and, and future developments with the trans canada trail so thank you both for having me today this was fun thanks thank you That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.